Wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your daily session. Huddle that Bitcoin. Before we dive in, of course, shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a few different services. They've got Bitcoin savings accounts where you can earn interest on your Bitcoin. They've got their Bitcoin backed loans where you can use your Bitcoin as collateral to obtain a Canadian or US dollar loan. And this is actually the first service I ever used them for. It was around this time last year, kind of actually early March, and I was in a pinch. I needed to get my hands on dollars, but I really didn't want to sell my Bitcoin because I was worried that the price was going to go up and I wouldn't be able to buy as much back, which would have been the case had I not been able to utilize this. Luckily, I was able to stick it in a dedicated address. I was able to audit that 24-7 throughout the course of my loan, which I received 24 hours later, and upon repayment of the loan, I got all of my Bitcoin back. In fact, the exact same UTXO, which is, is actually pretty cool. So that was super helpful for me. And of course, they've also got their B2X offering, and that's where you use uh, a Bitcoin back loan to immediately buy more Bitcoin doubling your Bitcoin on the spot and allowing you to experience the price fluctuations that come along with that. So if you're a huge Bitcoin bull, that might be for you as well. If you want to check out any of these, there's a link in the show notes down below. And if you opt to get a loan with that link, they'll actually give you an additional 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin. And secondly, we have Paxful. This is an online peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can buy and or sell Bitcoin. Now, there's a few very unique things about Paxful. Number one is how many friggin' on-ramps that they have, how many different payment options. They've got your traditional ones like bank transfers, e-transfers. They've got a lot of the payment apps like Cash App and PayPal. Uh, but then they have some less traditional ways of buying Bitcoin like purchasing Bitcoin using gift cards. They've I've actually got over 300 different payment methods. You, On the flip side of this, you can also become a merchant. You can make money buying and selling Bitcoin and uh, profiting off the spread. They've got a killer affiliate program and you can also buy super cheap heavily discounted gift cards on the service. I've seen cards like Amazon and Walmart and Starbucks discounted by 20, 30, sometimes 40%, so pretty wild here. And finally, you can always check out their Built with Bitcoin initiative. This is where they're trying to build 100 schools entirely paid for with Bitcoin, which I think is a, an excellent goal. With that, let's dive into the news. Uh, so more craziness, of course, with the Fed. Um, global markets have been rebounding quite a bit, but <laughs> largely due in part uh, for what the uh, to do with what the Fed has been doing and, and how much money has been printed more or less. So let's just kind of go through what uh, what the Fed is doing here. And uh, yes, you read that right. The U.S. Central Bank is pumping one million dollars per second at the moment. So over the last little bit, here are some of the measures that they've gone through. They've cut interest rates to zero through the same tactic that was used in the financial crisis of 2008. So more of the same there. Uh, it bought it is buying unlimited amounts of government bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Mortgage-backed securities being the tranches of securities and mortgages all piled into nice little packages that were the cause of the financial crisis in 2008. Um, 
This is the first time in history, it should be noted, that the Fed has pledged unlimited stimulus. It's printed billions before, but it has never said, hey, there's no limit to how much we're going to print. Now, it also announced that it would start buying municipal bonds, and for the first time ever, the Fed said it will purchase corporate bonds. And... Uh, <sighs> which is, is pretty wild. And we're gonna get into some of the implications of that in a moment. But I did wanna highlight a, a tweet here in this Bitcoinist article um, from, uh, and I'm gonna butcher the name here, Vis in Numeris. Uh, he said, $1 million every second. That's how much the Federal Reserve is printing. Its balance sheet increased by 586 billion, 1 billion last week to a record total of 5.24 trillion. Um, which is 84 billion a day and 60 million printed per minute. Pretty wild. Now, now let's touch on the buybacks of the corporate bonds here. So I'm gonna read an excerpt here. The central bank will finance so-called special purpose vehicles for each of its credit operations of buying government bonds, corporate bonds, commercial paper, etc. The US Treasury will make an equity investment in each SPV through the Exchange Stabilization Fund, effectively buying all these securities. The Fed is only acting as banker, offering financing. It recently hired BlackRock to buy all securities and manage SPVs on behalf of the Treasury. It means that the US government is nationalizing the financial markets. The scheme merges the Fed and the Treasury into one organization, at least for now. Thus, the printing press is in the hands of the US President Donald Trump, and who can guarantee that he doesn't use it after the pandemic is gone? So more or less what they're saying here is traditionally the Fed was not allowed to go ahead and buy equities and buy securities um, on, on the markets. They would have to get a, a free pass from the government to do that. Well, it seems that the government is is just kind of creating this loophole so that the Fed can more or less do that. The Treasury and BlackRock are the ones that are actually buying up all of these all of these bonds, but they are getting unlimited financing from the Fed. The Fed is essentially saying, hey, we will you're buying all of this crap off the market that nobody wants at the current time and artificially pumping up the demand for it on the markets. And now you've got these terrible assets sitting on your books that are essentially worth nothing because there's no liquidity. We will buy them from you. We will hold them and uh, extend a loan for the difference and give you cash. Um, and so where does that cash come from? Well, the Fed, they create it. So when people say, uh, some people come out and they say that, oh, the Fed doesn't print money, it actually gets assets in, in exchange for the money that it creates. Yeah, but if the assets are totally worthless as is and nobody wants them, then yes, you are creating money out of nothing because there would not have been demand for them in the first place. And that's what we're seeing and we're seeing pricing mechanisms completely break down because the Fed is skewing them completely out of reality. Uh, anyways, moving on from the craziness with the Fed, uh, Bitcoin exchanges in I, whether or not it's in response to this, we'll see. But I, I know myself, I'm more bullish on Bitcoin than ever, given the state of the economy right now. But exchanges are seeing massive surge in new users, particularly for, for March, which is interesting. Uh, so um, Kraken recorded an 
3.6% rise in signups and a further 300 increase in intermediate verifications or um, quickly people that are quickly uh, verifying um, those who went through KYC process to be able to deposit fiat money instantly. Uh, Kraken's Bitcoin strategist Pierre Richard said that it might not be people bored in lockdown, it could be a move away from legacy financial systems. Now, I do love this quote of his. He says, with Western governments struggling to contain COVID-19 and forcing cities and nations to into blanket quarantines, individuals feel an urgent need to get out of the centralized financial system. Uh, they can't go protest in the streets, so they protest with Bitcoin. And if anything, Bitcoin is a protest against the current financial system. It's just a, a, an open door to be able to step out of the craziness and into something that's a little bit more certain and doesn't hinge on the whims of a central bank that apparently will do anything. Uh, so similarly, peer-to-peer uh, -peer exchange and partner of the show Paxful saw a 100% increase in new signups since the start of March. Um, Bitcoin exchange Luno2 has seen a 50% uptick in active users over the last four weeks. Um, the CEO of Luna talked to Decrypt.co and he said, while the current pandemic has created a lot of uncertainty across most, if not all, industries. It's reassuring to see that there remains confidence in cryptocurrencies with many traders unwavered. And speaking to that unwavering um, resolve of especially un uh, hardcore Bitcoiners, this tweet and information from Unchained Capital is one that really kind of raised my eyebrow. Uh, so they said, fun fact, the last time the two to three year HODL wave age band represented 15% or 2.25 million of available Bitcoin was November 2015 when Bitcoin was $345. Today, 15% or 2.74 million of all Bitcoin has been sitting idle for two to three years and the price is $6,500. So just to sum up what they're saying here is uh, there's something called the HODL wave um, and the age of it. It's it's a band that represents people that have bought Bitcoin and it has been sitting in a dedicated address for a certain amount of time. And uh, what they're saying is that uh, when the last time that 15% of all Bitcoin had been sitting in a dedicated address for the span of two to three years uh, was in the lows of the last bear market when Bitcoin was around $345. Obviously, it had been lower before that. It had been down sub 200 at one point. But to keep that in perspective, it went on to go from $345 later on to damn near $20,000. Uh, if you saw the same appreciation, again, to put it in perspective, $6,500, uh, the multiple of that, that would also represent what would ha what had happened from 345 to around 20 grand, would put us in the mid $300,000 range. So close to around $340,000, maybe a little bit more. So I'm not saying that that's the trajectory that we're definitely on, but if history rhymed even just a little bit, it would put us somewhere in that range, at least well over $100,000. Um, so we will see if that plays out. It would be very much in line with Plan B's stock to flow um, uh, model, but 
Again, nothing has been proven, and this time around, with this having coming up in May, uh, it will be very telling as to whether or not Bitcoin is indeed seeing kind of a cyclical boom and bust um, via the having or not. Anyways, speaking of halvings, I did want to touch on this briefly. Uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, their halvings are coming up a little bit quicker than Bitcoins, and that may cause some interesting things to happen in regards to mining. Um, their block reward is going to be cut in half about a month prior to the Bitcoin reward halving. Um, and that means that the miners there are going to be at a significant disadvantage. It already is quite often less profitable to mine uh, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, uh, but people do it perhaps through, for altruistic means. They, they believe in the coin, so they want to mine it. Um, the thing is, it has yet to be this much of a difference. And so some are speculating that this drop, especially a month in advance, while the mining algorithm is the same as Bitcoin's, might cause miners from Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV to capitulate and at least temporarily start mining Bitcoin en masse. Uh, Bitcoin recently saw a drop in hash power of around 16%, which was needed because the drop in price was no longer sustainable for older machines, people mining on Antminer S9s. Um, it's not super efficient and not competitive with some of the newer models. And so a lot of those people had to turn off machines, which caused the drop in hash rate uh, and, and now makes it more profitable for the miners that did remain and were indeed efficient. Uh, anyways, we're going to move out of this story. We will, I guess we'll see soon enough whether that's true, but uh, Binance is looking to acquire coin market cap for $400 million, reportedly coming out of the block, although the block, uh, we'll, we'll see how accurate the reporting is, but, but hey, uh, a lot of people were kind of irked by this. So uh, those of you on certain coin market cap, uh, it is one of the most popular sources of crypto data in the industry, despite concerns that it's uh, it features exchanges that are known for having high levels of wash trading. The site is visited 37 by 37 million users a month. So quite a lot of people go there to get data on on Bitcoin, on other coins, on different exchanges, on volumes, all that kind of stuff. That tends to be the place that people go. The problem uh, with that is that um, when you have an exchange owning a widely visited source of what's supposed to be um, impartial data, they could be skewing that to into their favor. And so there are a few comments here from, from some other people. Uh, so Jonathan Leong from uh, Bitsy, he said, if Binance controls the most well-known third-party tool used by users around the world, this is clearly a strong conflict of interest. Um, some other people, like Jason Dean from Quantum Economics said, personally, I'm always skeptical of any deal that can in any way affect the neutrality of a reporting system where one party even potentially has an interest in the system as here, especially uh, as I'm not entirely clear what they stand to gain precisely. Perhaps I need more information on the intricacies of this and what the objectives are, but my initial reaction would be caution and skepticism. And one more uh, on Twitter here, Eugene Ng, 
uh, he said, who would even trust CoinMarketCap after this? It doesn't make sense. A stake in Binance might likely work better than an acquisition. It just defeats the purpose of having a balanced and neutral index aggregator. Um, and he was a former trader at uh, Deutsche Bank and he is the head of sales at Matrixport. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've got to agree, uh, having Binance control a, a central point where people for years have gone to get their information, as inaccurate as some aspects of it may be, means that they could indeed skew things, whether it just be the information there or whether it be the advertisements uh, around uh, other coins, other listings that they're gonna add to their platform. It could very much skew the entire industry and it would have been better for it to be, uh, you know, a, a little, a little less centralized in the hands of one player, but I don't know, I'm not, I, I guess, uh, I, I think as a net, it's a negative, but I'm also not super concerned because I don't really <laughs> care too much for the altcoins. Anyways, uh, moving on, Lightning Labs is pushing a digital authentication um, on the internet without passwords. And so what they're looking to do is create something called an LSAT. An LSAT is essentially a ticket slash receipt that serves as an ID or credential for an online service. The tickets are encoded with information that tells the website what information the user is cleared to access. They are minted using a mix of the old and the new. So HTTPS has an error code embedded in it, um, the error code 402, which means payment required. But because the internet never really had a native payment mechanism, it wasn't widely used. Um, it's also incorporating Bitcoin's Lightning Network, a secondary network for faster and cheaper payments, as I'm sure a lot of you know. Uh, the error code provides the basis for a paywall, while the Lightning Network provides the means of payment and the ticket, which is proof of authentication. Under the LSAT scheme, users could pay for a service and uh, receive a receipt for purchase, which they can then use to prove their identity for future logins. No password or name required. Um, it may be a useful service uh, providers that exp uh, expose and end, sorry, useful for service providers that expose and end API uh, to the user. Uh, for certain services like renting storage and disk space um, or access rights to data indices. So you could potentially, let's say you had uh, a Spotify, a Spotify membership, um, you could pay for that and then receive a, a more or less a token that represents that membership and then show that token without having to identify yourself in any way, shape or form every time you log on. Um, you could do the same thing for things like micropayments for reading articles and subscription services, anything like that. Um, yeah, it, it, it could be very, very useful and it could re uh, represent a very noted change in the way that the internet works moving forward if it takes hold, uh, but time will tell. Uh, and I wanted to touch on one other thing here. <laughs> uh, so Vitalik from Ethereum tweeted this out. I found it 
interesting, but I, I wanted to touch on this because I was interested in the responses to it. So Vitalik said, uh, if we're being more open-minded about accepting new weird ideas, can I suggest anti-aging research? Aging is a humanitarian disaster that kills as many people as World War II every two years, and even before killing debilitates people and burdens social systems and families. Let's end it. And so, um, I, I, I was intrigued because I saw a lot of people responding to that very, very negatively. And uh, I, I was kind of surprised. Um, the reason I was surprised is I, I don't echo that, that sentiment. Um, and so what, what I asked was, would you live forever if you could? And I just made a little poll on Twitter. Uh, it's still going. There's about 16 hours left in it. But so far, the response is yes, 31.5%. No, 21%. Not forever, but longer, 42.6%. And then around 5% just wanted to see the results. Um, and then I also got a lot of responses to that poll um, in regards to very religious responses, I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know, like even, you know, references to to Jesus, uh, people quoting Bible quotes and just not stuff that I would have expected necessarily from uh, what I imagine would be a large following of Bitcoiners that I, are, are following me. But even a lot of a lot of Bitcoiners that I, I very much like um, just kind of denounced the idea and said that that death is a, a natural thing and anybody who who pursues going after the idea of of ending death is it's it's a perversion of biology so i, I don't agree with that take uh, but i wanted to i wanted to ask a little bit more so i i retweeted the poll and i said follow up to this question for any that did not answer yes if medical technology got to a point where it, on average, allowed continued healthy living faster than the body deteriorated, essentially an indefinite lifespan, at what point would you throw in the towel? Um, because a lot of people, as I said, some people answered yes, they would live forever. Other people uh, answered no, and that's you know the two very definite answers. But for the people that said, um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't live forever but I'd like to extend my life for a certain amount of time again at what point if technology technology allowed for an indefinite lifespan would you say okay enough's enough um, and I guess it's up to each individual person but for myself I, I what I'm looking at is Technology and medicine has already done a lot for extending the human lifespan. Um, there is some studies that say that the human lifespan is, it does kind of have an upper cap at the moment um, and that the, the lower lifespan in previous generations was due in large to um, preventing infant mortality, being able to more readily uh, deliver babies with um, a lack of negative consequences or killing the mother, um, people in wartime being killed quite readily, diseases that have been eradicated, things like that, um, contributing to 
on average longer lifespans. Um, but the upper bound has not really made that much progress. But if it did, would you be open to that? If a regular medical procedure um, could help you live a few years longer, then would you? And for me, yes, I, I, I would definitely extend my life. I'm very interested in that idea. Now, I do find it laughable that Vitalik himself would solve that. And I don't think he was saying that, but, but I mean, a lot of, there was some pretty solid jokes there uh, about ETH 2.0 and insert of other hilarious Vitalik quotes here. Uh, but I do find the idea of extending life intriguing. And if it was available, I would absolutely do it. I don't know that I would live forever. Uh, I think at some point you would probably feel okay with your with your accomplishments over the course of your life. But another thing that I found interesting that uh, some Bitcoiners were not on board with this is Bitcoin is very much rooted or a lot of Bitcoiners are very much rooted in the idea of low time preference about thinking over the long term and what you can accomplish in the long term versus trying to get that immediate quick result. And I think of the things that were built with low time preference in mind as uh, particularly you go to like Savadin's book, the Bitcoin standard, and he talks about the incredible works of art and, and, and monasteries and things that were built in an age of sound money where people had a longer term thinking of generations. And I think of what could be done in an extended human lifespan. Right now, we're very much focused on the short term. It's this consumerism drives us to think very short term. But in an instance where you had an extended life and you had sound money, I, I only can imagine what incredible things could be built over a single person's lifetime. Um, so I don't know. I've, I just thought it was an interesting line of thought. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Is it a no-go? Are you, are you thinking like, you're dead, you're dead? Um, would you extend your life a little bit? Or would you just live indefinitely and try to understand as much of the universe as possible? Let me know. I know that's kind of like off the rails a little bit from our regular discussion, but given it was on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, I thought I'd touch on it. Anyways, guys, thank you guys so much for watching. As always, do hit like, subscribe, and share. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, audio only, please do subscribe wherever you are. Give it a share on your social media and do fill out a review. Give it five stars, hopefully, uh, because that really helps for visibility on various platforms. And if you want to help out the show in another way, you can hit up the sponsors down below. That was Ledin and Paxful, as well as Wasabi Wallet. And you can check out North NordVPN. I use this on my computer and my phone. It hides your IP address, encrypts your browsing data, and allows you to unlock geo-blocked content. And if you click the link below, it'll get you a pretty killer deal. I think it's like 80% off, but it works out to be about $3.49 a month, which is pretty damn good in my opinion. With that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful rest of your day, wonderful evening, and I will see you guys next time for your daily session.